Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time you are tuning in. Welcome to Homesteading and Gardening in the Suburbs. I'm Emma from Misfit Gardening and this is the last episode of our mini training series. Today we're talking about using permaculture and integrated pest management for your intensive garden. So this brings us to our seventh episode, I believe. Yep, seven episodes all about intensive gardening and I really want to know from you guys you know, let me know in the Facebook group, is this a type of gardening method that you're going to be using this year? Are you going to be diving all in and going for an intensive garden? Or are you just kind of going to be picking little bits and pieces to get familiar with as you are honing your skills on your gardening journey? I love to hear from you all. And it's, it's really great to see what you guys are all doing on your homestead. But without further ado, let's get into today's training because I want you to see how permaculture and integrated pest management can really help your intensive vegetable garden grow even better and I want you to learn some strategies that you can you know really start today um, especially if you are in those southern states where you know it's a lot more warmer um i know lots of you are already well underway for spring um in those southern states and i know a lot of you are also under a lot of snow so i want to give you all something that you can use in your garden this year so let's talk a little bit about what is integrated pest management and integrated pest management is an ecosystem based strategy that focuses on the long-term prevention of pests, right? Pests are a sign that the environment, in this case your garden, is out of balance and permaculture integrated pest management really teaches us as stewards of the land to understand why the system is out of balance and how that balance can be restored. And getting out into the garden regularly, keeping a garden journal is really helpful to you um, because it's going to help you spot a problem such as things like chewed leaves or seeing eggs or actually seeing the pest and then figuring out the steps that you are going to be taking to control the issue and bring your garden back into balance. And okay, I'm going to be totally straight with you. Um, Insects, bugs, and even weeds, they all have a right to be in your garden naturally, right? They all have a role to play in your garden's ecosystem. And pests are part of the diversity of the natural world. And they require deterring and not destroying. And when there's a massive increase in these pests, it shows that things are not quite right in your garden. And when the soil and the plants are right and working together, the pest problem will usually balance out and correct itself. And you won't notice that there really is a pest problem and I know from you know my various neighbors and things you know I've got ones who use you know all sorts of pesticides herbicides fertilizers who knows what on their yards there's not a lot of people who are you know in my local area that are using these natural pest management techniques and it's no wonder that all the pollinators flock to my yard to come for the flowers and the food sources that are there and it's you know something that is um, very apparent when you visit different places right gardens are teeming with life 
and you can hear you know things that are going on in your garden you can hear of the bees or the hummingbirds or you know the wasps that are there you can see butterflies flitting around and in some cases a lot of gardens don't have that but you can bring those things to your yard and you can do that quite easily using these permaculture techniques and integrated pest management methods that we're going to be talking about. But let's talk a little bit about what causes pests, right? Because if pests are indicators that something is wrong in the garden, what might cause them to show up? Well, I might have alluded to um, some of these, but monocultures is a common cause of pests, right? Just growing that one thing, um, growing the same plant in the same space each year right it's easy for um, these pests to see that one plant because it's everywhere and it's there year after year um, new insects or pests being introduced into the area so sometimes um, if you are buying in things like shipped compost that may have come from a different state or bagged compost that you're ordering online um, or even plants from the nursery that have traveled through like if you're going to one of the big box stores and ordering plants guess what they were probably shipped in from somewhere else those can actually introduce new problems in into your garden and you know although it's not always a bad thing to be bringing in some of these external things into the garden uh, sometimes we need to just uh, check them a little bit longer and make sure that we're not bringing in something that's unwanted um, the destruction of natural predators so like I mentioned about a neighbor who's always spraying everything he literally wants to obliterate everything out of his yard like all the bugs he doesn't want any bugs in his yard um, and that's obviously not how nature works but the destruction of these natural predators for example using non-targeted pesticides is a really great way to basically tell everybody hey I got no bouncers guys the bar's open everybody come on down because that's really what you're doing when you're using these pesticides um, in your yard. Um, catastrophic events, so things like fires or floods can often cause pests, um, and also certain plant breeding, so new plant varieties being more attractive or more susceptible to pest attack. But one of the ways that you can really take integrated pest management to the next level is that you really need to think about becoming a backyard scientist, and you need to be able to identify what the pests are and get familiar with the bugs and creatures in your garden and you know I'm obviously you guys can tell from my accent right I am not from um, the US and I had to try and figure out what a lot of these bugs and things were over here because I didn't know um, and having like a, a small like pocket guide for your location or maybe even a small magnifying glass to see what these uh, these bugs and even the plants are like being able to tell is it a weed is it not a weed a small pocket guide is super super valuable and being able to identify if it's a pest or if it's a beneficial insect if it's a weed or if it's a, a something that you want to cultivate is going to help you to determine the right management strategy for your garden and that's what it's really about right and that's why I'm always saying about you know having a you know a garden journal like writing these things down 
understanding and knowing what your garden is doing and what's normal for your garden really helps you to hone in those skills and become a better steward of the land. Now, the most effective methods of integrated pest management in an intensive garden will take time to establish. I am not going to lie. Sometimes it can happen within the season and sometimes it takes a number of seasons to get established. And some thought is really needed by you as the gardener to help design your intensive garden to be a system that mimics these natural ecosystems and it's this diversity and structure that helps to create the resilience to pests right all the things that we've talked about in the run-up to this episode are all building on each other and you're going to see that as I, I get into some of the nuts and bolts that we're talking about here but you know having an understanding of the type of plants that we're growing how we're growing it and how we're managing the pests and having that knowledge of is it really a pest or is it something that I want to encourage or how do I encourage these good things into the garden are going to help your garden grow better. So let's talk about encouraging predators. And if you are a regular listener or you listened to the last episode, you might remember how cover crops used in the garden can help encourage beneficial insects to the garden, right? Things like clover, when they're flowering, they love to bring in all these beneficial pollinators like bees, wasps, um, butterflies, even hummingbirds into the garden. This is how you can encourage predators into the garden to help managing pests. It's to increase their available habitat. So let's talk about how to do it. And you want to be planting a variety of plants in the garden bed and nearby, right? This is all about bringing in diversity. And diverse planting is how you bring in a diverse, you know, insects, birds, um, nematodes, all of these things that are going to help your garden thrive. Now, you could be planting a variety of plants by using companion planting, maybe growing perennial flowers nearby. So perennials are these things that grow back year after year. You want to be providing a water source for birds and insects like bees, believe it or not, need a lot of water. And if you have things like a bird bath or a small pond, I've just got a stock tank that has got um, a couple of water lilies in it and some reeds like our rushes in there and every year I get bees coming to it they're always like drinking water taking it back to the hive and we get birds you know I've even seen some of these predatory wasps and things um getting water at this this little stock pond and it doesn't take up a lot of room but having a water source is a really great way to attract some of these beneficial predators into the yard also things like a small log pile right that can be a really attractive home for toads or lizards and these things can help tackle pests like they can help eat slugs or snails um you know, even snakes have their place in a, you know, ecosystem, especially on a larger scale of a garden, right? And in some places, I know that you guys can't help um, but find snakes in the garden, right? I understand that. But also having things like a bushy hedge um, in your garden rather than a fence line or, you know, bushy um, trees and even a bird feeder filled with seed. These can all be attractive to birds, right? You want to be encouraging 
bring these things into the garden because then they become familiar with there's a food source they're going to spend some time kind of chilling out looking at what else is there and oh okay i've just had a snack over here oh my gosh what's going on over here wow there's something even better for me to to go ahead and eat and that's how you help to build these these relationships in these ecosystems, right? You're bringing in these predators that are then going to feed on the pests that are in your garden. Things like mulch and ornamental grasses um, provide home to spiders. Um, these type of homes help keep stable temperatures and higher humidity that spiders like, okay? Don't get me wrong. I am most definitely not a spider fan. I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I'm terrified of them and side note but why do spiders seem to flock to people who are arachnophobic right i swear every time i turn around there's another freaking spider and it probably drives my husband nuts because i'll be like moving some boxes or unpacking something and then he's hearing me screaming my head off because there are spiders down there and it's even to the point where the dogs hear me screaming and they're panicking too you know i'm kind of like jumping on something getting away from the spider the dog is now a of a spider um but in integrated pest management plan of the garden these critters even though i really don't like them but these take care of pests in huge numbers and um if you have done any reading um toby hemingway's book gaia's garden um has this really interesting piece in there about mulch gardens with spiders having far less insect damage on plants than um unmulched gardens as a counterpart because the mulch had i think it was like 30 times more spiders in them um than their unmulched garden counterparts um so if you are a mulcher in your garden then i definitely recommend um having gloves on on, especially if you were moving mulch about because you will find spiders um, but they do help take care of garden pests and I'm not so much terrified of spiders in the garden setting although if I come across a black widow or something that was somewhat unexpected um, then I do tend to freak out but they really really do help take care of a large number of pests in the garden but we want to be bringing in plants that are going to attract beneficial predators and some of these plants that help to um, bring bring in the beneficial bugs to the yard, right? I, I always think of, oh my gosh, who sings that song about milkshake and bringing boys to the yard? Oh my gosh. If you guys know the song that I'm talking about, let me know in the Facebook group. But that's all that I keep thinking, thinking of, like in the back of my mind when I'm saying like bringing these beneficial bugs to the yard. Um, anyway, I digress. That could be like a, a really fun um you know voiceover to do for somebody or a parody video oh i digress um but plants that help to bring in beneficial predators right you're thinking things like fennel dill uh cosmos yarrow marigolds um calendula and also french marigolds chrysanthemums zinnia poached egg plant also known as meadow foam um mint family so things like catnip or peppermint these plants absolutely loved by bees and other beneficial insects chamomile sunflowers shasta daisy buckwheat hairy vetch and clover all of these plants are providing either a food source for the beneficial insect or a habitat 
And you want to be thinking about how you can add some of these to your garden beds or spaces around your main garden area, maybe interplanting these plants and um, other companion plants like aromatic herbs, like things with a heavy scent with your vegetables to help confuse the pests. Because if they're planted in within that same garden, the pests can't easily see or smell their favorite plants in the garden bed, which is going to help you have less pest damage. Another technique that's part of this integrated pest management and this is like a whole reason why we started with this is maintaining healthy soil. So the very beginning of the training it was all about getting the soil right and the reason why is healthy soil grows healthy plants right you know having a good nutritious soil helps your plants to grow healthy and strong and they are able to deal with the pests better and also covering the soil with a cover crop or a mulch helps to protect it from washing away and helps to reduce diseases from being transmitted from the soil splashing up onto your vegetable plants where they wreak havoc and you know a lot of soil-borne diseases that is exactly how they are spread they are spread from the rain or irrigation coming down hitting the soil and then it splashes back up onto the plant and onto the leaves it's you know then able to take hold of the plant and that's you know how the the disease is spread through it's also um oftentimes spread through some of these pests aphids are horrible they are riddled with some of these viruses and bacterial problems that are then spread to your plants same with thrips and a few other um different um you know pests that are often um happening in our garden and being able to bring in these beneficial insects is help going to keep these pests in check and it's going to help reduce the spread of disease so you can kind of start to see how some of these things kind of work with one another in this kind of you know this web of um, an ecosystem and it all happens in your backyard right think of the ecosystem on a smaller scale right you can have mini ecosystems on a garden bed as well as your garden as a whole and it's not complicated and that's that's the wonderful thing about these kind of permaculture techniques is you know you can kind of see what's working in different plots or different gardens and you know taking some good notes about what strategies you're using and when you start to see an improvement or changes is going to help you figure out what's going to work best for your ecosystem right your back garden and vegetable garden is totally different to mine you might have to deal with the crickets and stuff like I do or you might be having to deal with slugs and snails or maybe you've got other problems like nematodes right the the issues that you're having in your back garden are just as unique as where you are and where you're growing and there's a lot of good information available for like common pest problems um, so if you are new to gardening and you're not sure what might be causing some of the issues that you're seeing you can do a quick search for some um, of the the issues that you might be seeing above the ground right so you know wilting plants or um, you know things dying off or if you're seeing mold or you know fuzzy growth 
on things right you can you can kind of search for that and look at the pictures but also especially here if you're in the US don't underestimate the use of your county extension office um, there is a lot of good information that's there they might be telling you to spray it with certain things but you might get a better idea of what it is that you were trying to tackle so that's a, a good extra resource that you can use but back to managing healthy soils right using cover crops help to add diversity of plants back to the ecosystem as well as covering the soil right cover crops help to provide a home a habitat or a food source for beneficial pollinators and predators some um, beneficial predatory insects like praying mantis they like things that kind of hang around a while right so things like dense plant spacings in the vegetable garden and using cover crops help to keep the weeds out of the garden but provide habitat for some of these really great bugs that we want in there and of course practicing crop rotation is a really key part into in helping manage pests and keeping soil healthy and we can use some of the information that we're getting um, especially if we know that we're in an area let's say that's got a problem with soil nematodes we can select our cover crops that are going to help reduce those numbers of nematodes or our planting so that we're providing a long enough break between plants that are very susceptible to these types of um, issues like nematodes um, and those which are not so we can help our soil recover and as our soil starts to recover and get better and healthier we're going to start to see our garden do the same thing so let's talk about some physical controls for integrated pest management because these are things that are really quick that we can do if we're noticing that we've got an issue with a pest and amazingly using traps in the garden for some of these pests actually helps with balancing the pest numbers right pest populations grow really really quickly right they they grow faster than rabbits um and whilst predators take a, a lot longer to grow in their population numbers it makes sense right pests have an abundant food source right loads more leaves and stuff for them to nibble on than the predators right the predators have got to hunt and it takes more energy for them to do that and then they've got to somehow find time between trying to eat to survive to then you know populate um so pest populations are usually higher than the predator populations right this this kind of natural life cycle stuff that you may have learned about in school so using baits traps and barriers and even laws in the garden can help with reducing pest numbers or interfere with you know the practices of the pest activities right so things like their breeding cycles or you know being able to destroy the eggs if you're seeing eggs underneath a a leaf and it is definitely not a predator set of eggs right you want to be kind of taking care of those um so you're going to help reduce the pest numbers so let's talk a little bit about barriers right have you ever sprinkled crushed eggshell around a plant to stop slugs or snails right maybe you've done that maybe you haven't but barriers are basically placed around plants or garden beds to stop the pests from getting to them and crushed eggshell is one that supposedly it's um it's a uh, it's very sharp for slugs and snails to kind of crawl over so you know they're they're deterred by it but normally barriers are abrasive or dehydrating so things like diatomaceous earth or de um or ash from a fire 
might be placed around plants to deter these kind of you know pests from getting to them um, other measures of barriers include things like grease bands placed around tree trunks of apple and pear trees in fall and they help to deter the coddling moth so in spring um, the the female coddling moth kind of emerges from um, the ground right by the base of the tree and crawls up and then goes sets up shop in the blossoms well if there's a grease trap there she can't crawl through that and she's not able to lay her eggs in there so that helps to reduce coddling moth numbers and the coddling moth are those um, worms that you can end up finding in your apple which is you know always disappointing um, when you bite into an apple and find a worm but always remember that it is less disappointing than biting into an apple and then seeing that there's half a worm there as my granddad always used to say um some other barriers include things like cardboard or felt collars that are placed around um cabbages broccoli or cauliflower may help prevent cabbage root maggots these are all common types of barriers that are used in the garden and I'm sure you can think of other barriers um, as well for where you live, right? These are just ones that I'm, I'm very familiar with. And let's talk a bit about uh, laws, baits um, and, uh, and traps, okay? So the tried and true slug beer trap great example of using traps in the garden right they're they're easy to do you kind of bury like i don't know a, a margarine tub or an ice cream tub or um something kind of deep um in with with your your plants right you you bury it so that the top of the container is flush with the level of soil and what you do is you put um beer in it you don't fill it all the way up you want to do it a little bit further down so about like halfway or whatever um maybe a quarter of, of the way because the smell of the beer is like really enticing to slugs and snails and they're like hey let's let's go over here and check this out and they they end up going into it to drink the beer and then they can't get out again so they end up dying in there so you have to kind of regularly um tip them out and get rid of them but it's a great way to reduce um numbers in your garden and also another good method is going out on an evening after um, it has rained or even after, you know, you've put the sprinklers on or something, um, turning them off and then going out into the garden in the evening when it's dark, take a flashlight and just picking them off, like pick pick out all of the slugs all of the snails, like get them out, put them into buckets um, and get them out of the garden. Now, you know we'll talk a little bit about animals later um but you know i had certain varieties of chickens and they loved those they went nuts for them other varieties of chickens uh not overly keen on the slug and snail um delight that we would give them um but some other traps might be um using citrus shells so if you like to eat um let's say um grapefruit right you cut grapefruit in half maybe and then you'll eat one half of it right you take that shell you turn it upside down and you leave it in your garden bed and leave it there overnight and then in the morning pick it up and there'll be like slugs and snails on the inside of it kind of munching on the remnants right so you can get rid of those slugs and snails and then you can pop that trap back down again right it's uh it's a pretty neat way to be able to um lure those um slugs and snails away from 
from, you know, things like your tender beans and pea seedlings, right, that you're trying to get established. Moist newspaper crumpled into cardboard tubes works well. Um, that was how we managed to get rid of a lot of... Um, earwigs in the garden um and part part of our issue with that was we were finding earwigs in things like um our peaches um in the peach tree and also in some of the leafy salads and they would freak out my stepson um a lot um and then he wouldn't he wouldn't want to eat the food um that was there so you know we we kind of were able to trap them in this moist um newspaper and then relocate them to the compost bin because I didn't really mind them being in there uh, but I did mind them being in a nice salad that we were trying to eat or even a fresh peach straight off the tree uh, right I mean you know what's worse than finding an earwig in your peach finding half an earwig in your peach um, also another good trap is white sticky boards that help trap thrips um, so you can place these kind of um, you can attach them to like a bamboo cane or something across your plants and um, where thrips are a problem and they'll be attracted to the whiteboard and then because it's sticky they get stuck to it um but you'd need to replace some of these traps relatively often right and uh, laws and baits can be from using pheromones uh, for your target pest to draw them into the trap or a more irresistible food source. So, for instance, vinegar and sugar solution in plastic bottle traps can help attract fruit flies away from your fruit harvest, for example. Um, and some others we talked about with the citrus shells or the, or the beer, right? But you may find that you need to use multiple traps or laws or bait to help bring down the pest population numbers. So let's talk a little bit about using animals since I mentioned it. And using animals in the intensive garden is definitely not a new technique. And in fact, using animals to help bring balance to pest pressure is really common to homesteads, home gardens, victory gardens, and small subsistence farms across the world, right? Ducks and chickens are voracious eaters of bugs in the vegetable garden. And that's why that they are very common on a homestead, right? They're common because they're, you know, relatively straightforward to take care of and they're pretty easy to, to feed, right? Especially if you have, um, you know, bug problems and things. But you do need to take care and obviously they're, you know, the animal husbandry that you need to look out for there. But also... You don't just want to let them like have at it in your vegetable garden because they will eat your plants too. And, um, you know, you can do things like putting compost in with your chickens. Um, that helps to add more nutrients, right, to the compost from your chickens pooping in there. But the chickens eat the bugs in there as well. Um, you could also do things like letting chickens or ducks graze through the garden in fall when most of the harvest is gathered. And it's a great way to reduce pest numbers as, you know, they're able to find the bugs that are trying to find a home and make it through winter. So there's, there's some... Um, you know, great information available online about using, um, you know, like little quail, like having small quail runs on a garden bed to take care of pests or having them kind of, you know, out in the garden naturally, like a lot of places 
here in the US have quail naturally like one of my friends she lives in the the southern end um of of the state and they have like quail kind of roaming around quite naturally she sort of was mulching around her hostas and there was some quail which was pretty neat um but other places do you know do not but you may be able to have something like chickens or ducks in your homestead um definitely if you're considering the animal option please 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 check with your local city ordinance that you are allowed to have them and also especially if you're in the uk you want to check that your mortgage will allow you to have them um, because some mortgages and insurances do not allow um, to have you know ducks or chickens so definitely check that before um you, you know you you go through all the um you know, having to have the housing and buying the animal and, you know, getting everything ready, right? There's nothing worse than um, having all that and then you're not able to keep them and you've got to try and find a home for them quickly. So take that into some consideration first. But using animals is definitely a, you know, a tried and true technique that's used and it's one that we use heavily in permaculture, trying to design you know, our garden or our animal pens and enclosures to incorporate ways that we can feed them as well as um, helping keep things like pests and stuff in check as well. And the last thing that I want to talk about with um, integrated pest management is about the choice of varieties that we're growing. And some vegetable varieties have been selected year after year because of special traits. And these are things like resistance to pests or diseases common in the area or when the date when they mature. And most pests are at their peak in around midsummer. So you could try planting early varieties or late varieties to avoid the bulk of pests when your vegetables are ready to harvest. So make sure that you choose open pollinated plant varieties or cultivars that grow well in your area for a best chance of those plants being able to grow and thrive and, you know, kind of take on some some of those pests running well not really running because they're plants but you know what I mean right being able to you know kind of really deal with them no matter what is being thrown at them so I want to know from you let me know in the Facebook group which method of integrated pest management are you going to be using in your garden this year or which one is the most interesting to you what do you want to know more about let me know in the Facebook group I love to hear from you and see your comments and you know learn more about you and your homestead and garden until next week I hope your garden grows beautifully and I will see you all then